2: Well, yeah. Good afternoon and uh, welcome. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Lifeline for this 24th day of January. Just chortling here, listening to uh, Jim Dobson uh, intonate that if you're 50 or over, you've got a story. <laughs> Some of us have a whole series of novels, right? It, it depends on how far past the 50-yard uh, line you are, I suppose, in life. Well, in any event, uh, we, with that bit of uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek offered at the start of the show, good to have you with us today. We've got a interesting program laid up for you, hope, 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 and uh, we're going to deal with some important issues on today's show. One of the first topics I want to dive into, and some might say, well, it's a good topic to save for Father's Day. No, you You know what? In America, every day ought to be Father's Day and Mother's Day, too, for that matter. But we have we've got a distinct shortage. And if you look around at the condition of the nuclear family in the last generation or two, we, in fact, have generational issues of absentee fathers that is creating a pressure cooker scenario in so much that even if perhaps you are a present father, Physically present. It might be difficult for you to be spiritually or emotionally present or present from a leadership mentoring position because you come from a home where there was no participatory father and so as a result kind of the impact of the family of origin that gets passed on and there are growing numbers of households today that are either absent a father or if the father is present dad's got some challenges quite frankly he really doesn't know what to do doing your best but you don't always know what to do because of the scenario in which you grew up spend some time talking about this today shall we we're going to uh, dive into the topic of um, what it means to be a man enough to forgive, and what it means to truly be a father. Joining me is best-selling author John Smith Baker. John is founder of Fathers in the Field. He had a uh, illustrious career. Um, in the business world, and then decided to um, follow the Lord's leading into the mission field, and uh, now he's working to help fathers learn what it truly means to be recipient of, and a caretaker of the mantle of being father. John, welcome, good to have you with us.
1: Hi Craig, thanks for having me, it's such an honor.
2: You have indicated that in your opinion, and you've worked with fathers and families for many years now, that perhaps this is one of the number one issues plaguing American society today, because let's face it, as goes the family, so goes the culture, so goes the entire country quite often. And and I just wonder your thoughts in relationship to my observation that we are now, in some cases, multi-generational absentee of fathers, even if they're perhaps physically present, because they might have come from a broken home where there was no role modeling taking place, they might try their best, but oftentimes even they themselves don't know what to do
1: yeah it's a it's a sad affair what's going on in our country sadly uh, we live now in a fatherless nation more than 50 percent of children are growing up in a home where their father is not present and as you said that doesn't include uh, bad or absent fathers that are in the home and that aren't spiritually available or there at all um, so we, we are in a pickle, and um, it's worse than a pickle, obviously, but we're now in the second generation, and the tsunami's on its way. And Pastor Greg Laurie says it best. He says, The family can survive without the nation, but the nation cannot survive without the family. And the American church society better wake up that fathers are critical, and it really breaks down to God gave men very special roles to be the pastor provider and protectors and that is why satan is going so hard after men and fathers to destroy those roles and, you know,
2: making this subject matter even more complex, there has been growing sentiment in modern culture that would suggest that to try to put forward the idea that the ideal home is the intact home where mother is present, father is present, uh, seems to somehow suggest that if it's a single parent family, that they're less than, and somehow that's a knock on them. How we dare insult a mother to suggest that that she's not capable of raising a family on her own. And I think we've certainly seen that there are many incredible women out there who often through no choice of their own do just that and raise very happy, functioning, healthy families. But the kind of challenges and the kind of stresses that are brought upon a woman to try and do that, to be mother and father at the same time, uh, I, I think really shortchanges changes women. And, and I think perhaps is almost a, a, an escape from the fact of the matter that women need to be holding these men accountable and men, you need to step up to the plate and accept your responsibility in your role as husband and as father.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lie from the pit of hell that women can be fathers. And that may try and ruffle some feathers, but I had a very strong mom. I was raised fatherless, but she was the first one to admit that I cannot be a father. They can try to help bandage the situation, but they can never solve it. And we have to understand as believers that God never lies. God made the nuclear family. He gave specific roles to men and women. And whenever that cup of marriage is broken and the family is broken, there are deep soulful consequences to that. If not, God is a liar. So let me say this. Men, you were born for a glorious reason. So were you women. But God assigned us different roles. It takes the God-ordained nurturing from a a mother, and it takes the masculinity from a man to grow a healthy child. And so I know this, again, not popular in our our woke culture, but masculinity is a gift from God. It's a gift to women, it's a gift to children, it's a gift to our community, it's a gift to our nation, and it's a gift to the world. And that is the truth. There is no such thing as toxic masculinity. There's there's masculinity, and then there's non-masculinity. But masculinity is a gift from God. And the roles... Of men our pastor provider and protector that's why Satan goes so hard to that next generation and break the family
2: and as know certainly John these days in in that that sense of of hyper progressivism that would suggest that hey woman she's strong she can take on the role uh, and yet as you point out not only did God not design it that way but but setting uh, cultural uh, Beliefs and mores for a moment aside, uh, you know the numbers. The numbers tell the story, and and the numbers yeah. tell the story that as we look at what's happening in culture today, in society today, and the connection between things like crime statistics and young men that are coming from families that have no father, it it really tells a story,
1: doesn't it? Yes. Listen. The the breakdown of the family and the breakdown of of marriages doesn't make it more difficult for children, which is true, but it damages their soul. That's why forgiveness is so important. Listen, if you look at the inner city, that's 75% now follow this rate. You look at the destruction, the despair, you look at it. Suburbia is now about 40. As a nation, we're over 50. The delta is, is around 20 points if we want to know what our nation looks like. Crime infested, prison, drugs, alcoholicism, out of wedlock births, skyrocketing abortions. That is the result of the breakdown in the family. God gave the family as the only fortress to withstand the brutal attacks of a fallen, broken world. And that's why if we can break the family, the white flag of surrender of children and the woman is raised and the marauding influences swoop in. The statistics are overwhelming. You cannot argue with this. In fact, they are government statistics who are trying to break down the family, and they're 20 years old, and they're startling. If we added what, what reality is, and if we defined... What fatherhood abandonment is biblically, it's even worse. Because listen, you cannot fulfill the biblical roles of fatherhood, which are pastor, provider, and protector, unless you're in the home. Unless you're in the home. So men, don't leave. Choose your spouse wisely. And again, I have, always have to say, because I get pushback on this, is I'm not talking if you love your children. I'm talking that they have suffered a deep soul wound. Because you cannot perform the God-given roles of pastor, provider, and protector unless you're in the home.
2: And one of the issues that you talk about, we're going to dive into this more after the break, is the issue of forgiveness and how all of this melds together and ties in together. And I want to explore that with you because uh, it's a critical component to addressing the issue of the fatherless home and the impact on children. If you've just joined us, John Smith Baker with us, founder of Fathers in the Field, his latest book just published by Dunham is called Man Enough to Forgive. His passion and focus is helping men recapture their divinely assigned roles as household pastor, provider, and protector. We'll take a time out to come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Best-selling author John Smith Baker with us, founder of Fathers in the Field, and his new book, Man Enough to Forgive, published by Dunham Books. And information, by the way, available online at Man Enough to Forgive. Dot com. John, when we think about broken homes, broken families, and uh, kids can be incredibly um, resilient, and yet we oftentimes can see damage taking place below the surface, uh, at the core of one's being. That I would imagine over time, in the case of a child that has an absentee father, that there's going to be a sense of rejection. Feelings of abandonment, anger as a result. And I wonder how much of this creates an environment where later on when that individual grows up to become somebody else's father, somebody else's mother, that the impact of those years of anger and frustration over their own set of, of life circumstances now takes a toll on their ability not only to have a healthy relationship with their spouse, but moreover a toll on their ability to have a healthy relationship with their own children. How vital is it, in your opinion, that an individual who has grown up in this kind of environment learn how to forgive and what forgiveness is.
1: Yeah, it, 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 it's the issue of, of of abandonment and and frankly most trauma. Um, and we have to start now separating the trauma is real because all the statistics, you know, 75% of every followers boy will get adjudicated. You look at the prisons, you look at rape, you look at depression, suicide, 7,000 followers children attempt suicide daily. It's a big issue or the other 15% like myself. Try to earn my father's return and affection, and we become perfectionists, overachievers, and we end up abandoning our children and our fatherhood roles through divorce. So sadly, the, this whole concept of forgiveness is is key because what these fathers' children tell themselves every day that they will never ever forgive their father for abandoning them and causing so much heartache and and, and chaos in their life, and compounded by that, they they view that this is the unforgivable sin. And then they also then blame themselves. They think it's their fault. So this compounding effort then gets stuffed way down inside them because you have a culture that tells them you don't need a dad. Big boys don't cry and you'll get over it. So this festering wound is deep down inside the soul, and they try to get over it. Most of them try to numb it through pornography, alcoholic, workaholicism, or they get depressed, you name it, or they're uh, ultra aggressive with women and, and have adulterous affairs and break up their marriages and put themselves first. So the consequences are great. So forgiveness is the key. Listen, as separating now As believers, we're commanded by God to forgive. And I have to always say, we are not talking about reconciliation. We are talking about forgiveness. Those are two separate concepts. I don't believe the church does a very good job usually separating them. But we're not saying you have to go back to your abusive parents or your abusive person or whatever. But we are saying as believers, you are commanded to forgive. And if you don't, then Christians, you have broken fellowship with your Heavenly Father. So this whole concept of forgiveness is so necessary. This is what heals. It doesn't mean you won't have a scar from the experience, but you will no longer have a festering wound, and now you're able to be the man God intended you to be. You're not an injured reserve anymore as a believer. You can actually join other healed believers at the gate where all the barbarians
2: are. And I'm so thrilled that you brought that to the forefront, John, because so often you will hear people say, you know, I've been told that I need to forgive my father, and yet, you know, I I don't want to have anything to do with him. He was abusive. It might have been a scenario where you know, there was physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse going on. It might be a case where the the father is now out of the picture permanently, meaning meaning has passed away, and so the ability to, to try and reconcile, they would argue it would be an impossibility. And yet you're making that, I think, important distinction between reconciliation versus forgiveness and the understanding that that, that forgiveness in many respects is for us. You know, we see in Scripture the warning about the, the, the root of bitterness, uh, meaning that maintaining and hanging on to unforgiveness and, and, and anger and resentment, and how at the end of the day, the greatest harm... That that takes place is not your anger directed toward the perpetrator of whatever it is towards you, in this case, a father, but rather the damage that it does to your heart and your ability to have healthy relationships. So in many respects, that capacity to understand what it is and means to to extend forgiveness, you know, is father forgive us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Right. That, that we would Amen. understand what it means because of the benefits we can receive.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are certainly fleshly benefits, right? Health, stability, relationships. But but as believers, we understand our spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father is everything. And if you have broken fellowship, obviously believers can't lose their salvation, but believers can have broken fellowship with their Heavenly Father. And that's the only device the devil has anymore so they they love to put all these believers on injured reserve take them out of the kingdom battle and put them on the sidelines because the bible calls them useless again hear me clearly not valueless but useless for the kingdom battle and we need more believers off the sideline in the kingdom battle Don't let your shame, your past, prevent you from doing that, men. Now listen to me, men. Men were born for a glorious reason. Men are the problem, but men are the solution. And that's the way God designed it. Men, you were born for a glorious purpose, mission-oriented purpose. So we need you, men, off the sidelines. And brothers and sisters, we need you in the kingdom battle. Forgiveness is the key. There is none. There is no unforgivable sin other than one, as we know. Unbelief. So, brothers and sisters, please forgive. And uh, the book, Man and a Forgive, helps you understand what that entails and how to go about it.
2: And how important is it to also disseminate this message for men to understand how valuable they really are? Because, you know, as you and I, John, oh. sort of mentioned at the beginning of our discussion this afternoon, that there has been so much invested in the notion of kind of waving the flag of surrender and saying, well, you know, if men are going to misbehave and have kids and be absent or not look after a family, or abandon a a wife and kids when the going gets rough, then, you know, let's just uh, let's just do the best we can without them. Let's even come to the conclusion that we don't need them anymore. And so suddenly it's almost as if men are getting a And I want to irritate a lot of my audience. I apologize, guys. But it's almost as if we're giving a free pass for bad behavior and then. After a generation or so, John, it becomes almost inbred in the culture that well, you know, women have gotten along without men, so guys, don't worry about it. And All of a sudden, they're sort of getting that sense that they have been freed, so to speak, of their obligation or so convinced that they are so useless that their desire to even try has been completely stripped away from them. How critical is it to hammer home, in your opinion, this message of the importance of men in the family and being fathers before their kids?
1: Yeah, great, great insight. Listen, we have to understand, it starts in the the Garden of Eden when, when Adam sinned. And the curse that God placed on men and women is to basically pit them against each other. Women desire men's authority, and men desire having no accountability. So we fight that curse. And that's just the truth of it. So men, you have to rise above that constantly rely on the strength of christ to become the man god intended you to be listen we have a couple generations now of fatherlessness and men this is an uphill battle because fatherless begets more fatherless and men are being raised in in women only homes women teachers on and on and on and so we have now a generation men who have are more passive, more effeminate, the homosexuality increase, confusion, all that is because of the breakdown of the family. Because that is where a healthy boy gets to see what a godly man is and a healthy woman that loves and is a helpmate to her husband. God gave roles, and I know in today's feminized culture this just tweaks some people off, but sadly, even the American church is is siding with satan in rebellion to god's ordained plan because you see women pastors and they are taking the role of men and they'll excuses because men aren't stepping up and so we have got to understand god's plan we can not agree with it we can argue with it all you want but god's god and he makes the rules and those are what it is and men He gave you special responsibility and a glorious purpose. So I just I I love men and what they're called to do. And I'll fight and battle with you. But you have got to understand and take responsibility. And forgiveness is key. It's the best witness we have in this broken land that we forgive like Christ forgive us. Knowing how much Christ forgiven us, how can we not forgive others?
2: With us today is John Smith Baker, founder of Fathers in the Field, a book called Man Enough to Forgive. Information again on the web at manenoughtoforgive.com. That's manenoughtoforgive.com. When we come back, how do we go about disseminating this message in a hostile culture of the importance of the role of father in the family? And secondarily, if you're struggling with the issue of forgiveness, how do you begin that first step? We'll talk about that next as our conversation with best-selling author John Smith Baker continues here on Lifeline.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: The road toward restoring the integrity of the nuclear family in America is going to be, I think, in some respects, a long and arduous one, given the fact that we've got a couple of generations now where we've sort of put in the seal of approval on allowing men a get out of house, you know, I'm just gonna say get out of jail, but get out of house free card and get out of your responsibility. And as a result, children are suffering, society is suffering, and if if you don't want to take this strictly from a scriptural or biblical perspective, then then you know use the statistics. They both tell the same story. In the end, the results are the same. America suffers because the home suffers, because dad has either abdicated his responsibilities or has been convinced that he's just not needed. So how do we begin that process of restoration? And I guess that's the big thing in terms of uh, John Smith Baker pushing back on this culture, which has endorsed the idea of single-parent families as uh, being as equally beneficial as intact families where mom and dad are present. How do we begin that process of pushing back on that notion?
1: Yeah, it, it, again, it all starts by understanding God's Word, right? That That is the fountain of truth in this broken lying evil system world sadly that we live in because of sin so it all begins with god's truth so we we, as a church as believers we have to get back to god's truth first of all we have to say men were born for a glorious purpose men are a mistake they're not the they're not, you know, inherently the problem, but they are part of the problem now because of the breakdown of the family. We have a generation. So that's why fathers in the field, the ministry that we do every day is we get we help mobilize the church, get men to make uh, an intentional commitment to lives of fatherless boys right in their community and, and get to share a heavenly father that will never leave or forsake. But we have a million children that turn 18 and go into adulthood every year who are fatherless that keeps on adding to this fatherless generation and so you know there are 25 uh, million fatherless children under 18 and every year we have another million going into adulthood and churches i hear from pastors all the time saying they're being overrun with the symptoms of fatherlessness pornography divorce workaholicism and depression Uh, you name it adultery and all these are are ways to try and numb the pain of being fatherless so first of all believers we we live in a fatherless generation more than 50 percent of the people in church now are divorced so all their kids are dealing with this and first of all we have to just speak the truth there's nobody i say nobody but there's rarely an advocate in the church to help kids deal with the father wound because they're again, the culture thinks they're better off just saying you'll be okay, versus saying, no, no, you should be hurt, you should be angry, your world is upside down. So it all begins with truth. Secondly, the truth that forgiveness is a command by God. And when we try to pretend, I'm okay, I got over it, it was no big deal, my dad did the best he could, that is minimizing God's perfect plan. So you have to realize that forgiveness is necessary. And then the third part that we talk about in the book is that how do you know you know you've forgiven? Well, we, we go through the concept of a forgiveness letter and, and that you're willing, willing to declare your forgiveness. You share it with your dad or your pastor or mentor or somebody so you make it real official. And secondly, are you praying? Are you praying for your, quote, enemy, your father your your abuser or whoever it is, are you praying for them? Those are signs that you have forgiven, truly forgiven. And you turn a festering wound into a scar. And now all Christians will have scars through this life. But we are not to have festering wounds, the root of bitterness, like you said. So those, those are some quick things. but It's very quick, but we go through that because you need to know, you know, you've forgiven because unforgiveness
2: is a sin. Let me ask you a question, John, that I, th- I think will fit hand in glove with this discussion as well. Um, <clears throat> we know that certainly men repenting, um, embracing forgiveness, returning back to their roles, embracing their roles um, as fathers, is is uh, critical, but. As a stopgap measure, I'm thinking about the untold numbers of households across America today where the father is absent and perhaps could care less about any of this. As I said before, he was given a get-free-out-of-jail card, and so there's no, there's no bringing him back in again. That does not in any way negate the, the impact of the absenteeism of that father and the need for a son, a daughter to, to have dad. I think about all of the men out there that have raised their own families, they have perhaps reached the the age of retirement, they're resting at home, reading the newspaper, getting in their wife's hair (laughs) every day. How many of them that could stand in the gap? as as mentors of a fashion uh, as you know i mean there, there's there's never going to be a substitute for your own flesh and blood father but i think in the way in which god has adopted all of us into the family through his son yeah. christ jesus and i just wonder if there's not a army of potential father mentors out there that could help to replace that gap that missing component in the lives of so many young men and women today
1: Yes. Well, first of all, we have to understand the greatest underutilized asset in the church are men. The feminization, not just of men, but also our American church is happening. Men are wondering what what is church about? That You know, if, if, if they're lucky, they get to do the parking lot ministry versus doing a real kingdom battle or they have to be such a theologian theologian that they have to be a good public speaker and answer all the hard questions of the Bible. Most men are gifted in so many ways with their passion, their hobbies and their work that they have something very special to offer a fatherless boy. So as fathers in the field as a ministry, we get to mobilize these men who are wondering if the church has left them by and they get to share a heavenly father that will never leave or forsake in their comfort zone. In their comfort zone. And it's just a glorious thing. So we, we, as a ministry, we get to see men's life, lives uh, alive, if you will, because they're standing in the gap. They're doing something meaningful for the kingdom, and they get to be who they are. They don't have to pretend that they like to hunt or fish or woodwork or sports or automotive stuff. They get to share that with a boy that is desperate for a male mentor. And they then get, get to share about a heavenly father. So you're right. Every father's boy, every father's child in the – in America, is in the reach of churches. If you took the amount of churches out there, and you look at the fatherless issue, if, if every church would mentor 30 boys, we could solve this issue.
2: If folks want to get more information about your ministry, and we mentioned about the book, of course, Man Enough to Forgive, um, tell us how they can reach you.
1: Yes. Please go to fathersinthefield.com the ministry, if you think the Lord is calling you to invest in a little bit of time in the life of a follow boy right in your own community, uh, that'd be awesome. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, then you go man enough to forgive. But either way, you can kind of cross-reference. But listen, the, the angriest God has, has revealed himself in the Bible is over this issue. When his people gave lip service to the followers and widows. And one thing we have to understand, these single moms are the largest unchurched people group in America now. We are now the mission field. They're the largest unchurched people group in America. Even if they wanted to come to church, most of them are working the service jobs on the weekend where they can't go to church. So the American church, God's church, needs to stand up and not walk by these desperate, abandoned, needy people group that needs the love of the Heavenly Father that will never leave and forsake.
2: John Smith-Baker, founder of Fathers in the Field. Information, again, available on the web at fathersinthefield.com. That's fathersinthefield.com. And uh, to get that journey of forgiveness started, and I know that a lot of us struggle with that issue. It's part of human nature, but perhaps even more so when you've had sort of that endorsement that, well, society has said this is okay, and so you've maybe just kind of shrugged your shoulders and given up on the idea of being able to forgive uh, that, that uh father that was absent from your life um, it's never too late to forgive and understand that forgive doesn't necessarily require that there be reconciliation but it does require reconciliation with the lord information regarding the book manenoughtoforgive.com to, manenough to our thanks to john smith baker for being with us on that segment of lifeline
0: and now back to lifeline with craig roberts
2: We are reminded that prayer is the key and faith unlocks the door. From that wonderful hymn of the 1970s, wasn't it? Um, Trying to think who sang that. I can picture him right now. Roger, it'll come to me. It's a sign of old age. Roger something or other. Prayer is the key to heaven. Sometimes you get a little overwhelmed, though. Especially if you have a reputation for being a bit of a prayer warrior and... You enjoy communing with God, and yet, boy, how do you do it? I, I don't mean, how do you pray? What I mean is, how can you have a sense? When you say to somebody, for example, I'll be praying for you, are you good on the follow-through? Are you able to keep track of the execution on that? I know I, I have to make a list. If I don't make a list, inevitably, and I try to do it strictly from top of mind... Uh, you run into somebody and they say, gee, uh, my son-in-law is dealing with cancer. Oh, I'll be sure and pray. I'll add him to my prayer list. And then a day or two goes by and you forget about it. And then six weeks later, you run into them somewhere at the grocery store and they say, gee, my son-in-law is doing much better. Thank you for praying. And you go, oh, my goodness, I had completely forgotten. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. And yet, is there a practical way in which you can pray for friends, family, community? Well, my next guest says, absolutely, yes. Simply learn to pray A to Z, a practical guide to pray for your community. Amelia Rhodes joins us. And Amelia, what a brilliant book. Uh, When I first saw this come across my desk, I thought, oh, another book on how to pray. Well, there's plenty of those out there. But then I started thumbing through and went, oh, wait a minute. This is a whole new idea.
3: Thank you. Yeah, that um, that's kind of how I felt. We don't need another book on how to pray. We need something that will actually help us to pray, because I'm much like you described. That has been my struggle, too, saying I would pray for people and then weeks later realizing, wow, I only prayed once, maybe twice, and just feeling this conviction that I needed to follow through and be faithful long term. And
2: and as we talk about uh, lending the sense of of organization I, I know some people might shudder a little bit and think oh my goodness I have to get an excel, excel spreadsheet going
3: now <laughs> right, right. <laughs> i got to go buy a laptop so i have it handy <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I know that I need simple things that help me, and that's how Pray A to Z started for me, was just out of my own prayer life, feeling very overwhelmed and convicted of, you know, running into people later and remembering, oh, I I said I was going to pray long term. And uh, so I just came up with this very simple way, and it started out, you know, note cards, three by five cards, and it grew into a book. I never would have dreamt I would write a book on prayer because I felt like I was the least qualified person to do that.
2: As you've approached this, you're, you're taking it very um, topical in a sense. And I guess it's true that people tend to, at least my life experiences, tend to fit in, you know, not, not not neat, clean pigeonholes, but it tends to be, for example, there's a couple of people on my prayer list right now that are dealing with cancer. Mm-hmm. So they're in the cancer category. Mm-hmm. And then it seems perennially there is somebody that I know that's got a son or a daughter or a grandson or a grandchild that's kind of wandered away from the Lord. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, maybe they've had to run in with the law and things of that sort. So that it seems as if um, the older we get, the health concerns, of course, tend to pile up. But it seems as if there are certain perennial categories that that tend to be kind of repetitive. The names may change, but the needs or kind of the same. Does that make sense?
3: It does, yeah, and that's how it started for me. It was after taking several phone calls and emails from friends all in one day. Big, heavy requests, adoptions that weren't going well, cancer diagnosis, um, a marriage that was falling apart, when I realized, you know, this is heavy and overwhelming, and I asked God to help me be more faithful in my prayer life, and that was what i the conclusion I came to, that so many people are struggling with the same types of things. What if I were to pray by category and maybe take one or two per day? And so that's how A became adoptions, and B became bullying, and then we expanded doing several topics per letter. And I found it, um, I kept the topics broad enough so that, yes, under cancer, you will remember your friends, their family members, their caregivers, their hospital staff can Caring for them, really just very broadly covering all of those struggling with the various topic.
2: And uh, let's see, 26 letters in the alphabet that kind of takes us through um, A to Z literally over the course of a month.
3: Right, right. And I ended up starting with one topic per letter, and then I ended up expanding it to five. So there are 150 different prayers and topics in the book, and um, two for each letter are actually prayers of praise. Yeah, I
2: noticed that. And and was it intentional that you included that in there because you know, so often we think about uh, you know, the, the scripture talks about going to, and bringing to the Lord our prayers and supplications and it tends to usually be a laundry list of heavenly father I need so and so needs the other one needs and it's it's typically uh, all very one-way communication in that sense. Uh mm-hmm. you know, we could almost uh, if, if if heaven had an email address, <laughs> we would we would do that and just say, you know, dear god, here's my list. Uh, get right. back to me when, it, when you've answered all those requests. Nice. You're, you're suggesting a dynamic here that that really helps to not only give us a better sense of discipline about our prayer, but also helps to enrich our relationship with God.
3: Absolutely. Because as I prayed, you know, and I was, we're looking at you know very heavy topics that we're all facing in our communities. We've mentioned cancer, but then like oh, praying for the homeless and those who are serving them, um, zero prejudice, uh, our lawmakers, all of those big things happening in our communities, it can be very heavy, and I found myself, even in prayer, just feeling just this darkness and feeling overwhelmed, but when I began to praise God and recognizing who it is that I'm talking to, it really lightens the load because we remember that every need we have is met in who He is. And it was very exciting as I wrote it. So, for example, like C was cancer and caregivers, and then praising God that He's the Comforter. How very often, you know, these prayers of praise match up with the needs and recognizing, yes, we have these hard and heavy things, but remember, He's Almighty, He's the Comforter, He's our Helper.
2: There's also another dynamic to this that fascinates me. And I and I think it's one, you know, a, a, some people that kind of approach prayer casually uh, do it. They know they need to do it. They have a sense that it moves the hand of God. So they're obedient in that fashion. But there's lacking in a sense of organization. It's easy to rack up the list of all the prayer needs mm-hmm. and then forget about the times, and they are frequent, when God answers prayer. And I'm wondering if in this fashion, in, in giving a greater sense of organization to uh, how you pray and remembering to, to remember all the needs that are brought forward, is it also a, a tool in helping you keep track of, wow, when God answers prayer, let's make note of that, too, and right. also give thanks to the Lord in acknowledging the fact that here's another case where He's answered prayer.
3: Absolutely. With with each topic, I started out with a scripture, because I, I really believe in starting with God's Word. What does God say about this topic in this particular issue and then in the prayer prompt just a couple sentences you know remembering all of the people who are going through this and then many times i prompted people you know think about the times where god has moved in your life in this area and give thanks for that and then through the prayers um, to not only think about the current situations but situations in past praising god for his faithfulness and how he has worked in these areas
2: And I think a lot of that helps to to, uh, not only give us a greater sense of discipline when it comes to our prayer, but, but also does a phenomenal job in strengthening our relationship and our faith.
3: Right, and that is my hope through all of this that you know often if we don't know where to go or we feel like we're just you know in a rut with the same things over and over that it will it will expand our love for God and our love for our community, and that we will begin to experience this deepening relationship with him as we begin to talk to him intentionally and purposely you know every day.
2: I, funny, I was just looking at the calendar here and, and made note of the fact that it's December the 14th. Exactly a year ago today, I was flat on my back in a hospital, being treated for cancer, Mm. and had suffered something called an ileus. I won't describe it, it's a blockage. Um, As as I told my nurse, uh, it'll be about three hours from now, exactly a year ago, uh, you need to either give me some pain medication or bring me a gun. Mm. Horrifically painful experience. Right. And as we're talking, and I'm thinking back exactly a calendar year later, At the repeated answers to prayer, including on the day of the most painful day of my hospitalization, exactly a year ago today. And I think how grateful I am to serve a God who not only hears prayer, but who answers prayer Mm -hmm. and to be mindful and reminded of his faithfulness. And I think we do a good job in bringing those prayers and supplications to the Lord, I think, uh, quite often. But um, the discipline to keep track of all the times that he answers prayer, in that miraculous fashion in which he is there with us, sometimes oh, yeah. we kind of give mental assent to that. But I think actually writing it down and saying, well, we prayed for Uncle Charlie starting on this date, and X number of days, weeks, whatever later, here's the date when God answered the prayer. This can be a wonderful resource to the book. Is simply called Pray A to Z, A Practical Guide to Pray for Your Community. That's Pray A to Z and uh, newly published by a Worthy Inspired. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, also through the uh, usual suspects like Amazon.com. Uh, it's a good read and uh, gives you some great tips. Our thanks to Amelia Rhodes, author of Pray A to Z, A Practical Guide to Pray for Your Community.